Hello, welcome to Horror Court Trash Over the Show. It discusses all the masterpieces and trash the pieces of genre cinema. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. And it doesn't happen often, but it's Friday the 13th. Ooh. Really doesn't happen often enough. Like, this is the only one this year, <laughs> and last year only had one as well. Um, so, all things well and good, uh, these bonus episodes will be finished in 2026. Yeah. It's something to look forward to. But yes, we are continuing our journey through the Friday the 13th franchise with Friday the 13th Part 5, A New Beginning from 1985, the one where Jason takes a backseat. Now I know this is the one you've all been patiently waiting for. This is the infamous Part 5. Um, and yeah, we're going to discuss the shit out of it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, let's, let's get yeah, into it. Yeah, I, th- I, I think it's one where we just, yeah, I think we, we'll, we'll say it when we need to say it. <laughs> Directed by Danny Steinman, who you may remember from our Savage Streets episode. Oh, he directed Savage Streets? He did indeed. Wow. Uh, made on a budget of $2.2 million and it made $21.9 million at the box office. And that's the thing with these Friday the 13th films. Um, as you may remember, part four was titled... Oh, my God. What yeah, was the final title? chapter. The final chapter. Thank you very much. Yes. I was going to call it Jason's chapter. I don't know. What is <laughs> what? that? Um, yeah, final chapter. So that was meant to be the last film. But in the grand tradition of Hollywood filmmaking, it made money at the box office. Yes. Therefore, part five was going to happen. Yeah. The year after, as the well. Year I after. mean, they really were dedicated to getting these out every fucking year. I mean, it literally from nineteen eighty onwards, it was every single year. Yeah, yeah, and it wasn't just Friday the Thirteenth. Now, no, it was a Nightmare on Elm Street. So a Nightmare yeah. on Elm Street happened in nineteen eighty four, made really big business. Slasher films weren't dead, still going. And so, Friday the 13th was still going to continue. And we've seen it over the years, you know. I mean, it's exactly what Saw and Paranormal Activity did. And it's now what Scream's doing again. Is that coming out next year? Next year. Next it's year. being filmed as we speak. I think, yeah, I Which think... Which is great, by the way. That is great news. Yeah, it is. It is wonderful news. Um... I suppose it's just getting them out there where it's still fresh in people's yeah. minds. I mean, I don't know if... I, I don't think the home video boom had happened by this point. So it's still... Whilst people still remember the previous one, mm. then it's thrown them out there and said, here's the new one, here's the new one, here's the new oh, one. Oh, if, if the uh, home video boom had been in place by then, this absolutely would have gone straight to video. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I suppose so. Yeah, but then it still did money theatrically. Yeah, it did. You know, it still made money. And, and this is one of the things about um, these sort of slasher films in the 80s is that they were doing big box office. They were having, you know, number one in the box office weekenders when they opened with a small budget, you know, no big stars in no. them. Very sort of... Not cheaply made, but, I mean, the actors and actresses kind of cost that much. And yet these films were opening big 
at the weekends, mm. you know, and they were making big business. Um, so it, it's the horror film is tried and tested as a sort of genre that can be budget friendly, but still pull in the, you know, viewers yeah. and the, the audiences. And that's, you know, Taylor's oldest time, that is. William Castle was doing that, you know? Yeah. So getting to trivia, Curry Farman is briefly in this. Uh, his scenes were shot in the backyard of his neighbour's house. Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, easily done. It doesn't have to do a lot. No. Uh, Ted White, who played Jason in the final chapter, stated in interviews that he was offered the opportunity to reprise his role in the sequel and the follow-up, but turned it down. And he said that he regrets doing so. Ted White, you're a bit uh, bit bulkier than uh, a certain ambulance driver that we'll be discussing soon. Yeah, yeah, I've got something to say about that one, but okay. <laughs> Melanie uh, Kinnaman claims her favourite scenes in the film are the ones where she's wearing the wet see-through t-shirt. She felt she didn't look good in the film until they turned the sprinklers on. <laughs> nice. Go on, girl. Wash away that eyeshadow. That's probably why. Deborah Voorhees. Um, now you won't be surprised no to find out that most of the IMDb trivia was about her, because she has the big nudity scene, and IMDb trivia is obsessed with big nudity scenes. Do you tend? Yeah, it does tend to be. Yeah. Um, the shit I had to edit out for this. Um, oh. Deborah Voorhees said in a recent interview that when she went in for an audition, one of the things that caught the director's eye on her photo was that she had the same name as Jason. Nowadays, she doesn't really get recognised, but some people freak out when they see her last name. She tells them Jason Voorhees is her husband, uh, and that it's a real bitch getting bloodstains out of his laundry. There we go. She also said in a 2013 interview uh, that there was no chemistry between her and John Robert Dixon, who played her boyfriend, Eddie. She also felt awkward during their sex scene because she was totally naked in front of him and the mostly male crew the entire time while Dixon wore shorts. They also kissed so much that her lips and jaw hurt and she didn't want to kiss anyone for two weeks after that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a slasher film. You know, the guy gets to wear shorts, she's fully nude, yeah. Yeah. It, it kind of... I've seen a movement away from that. There's been a lot more nudity this past year in, in films. Um, but th- there was a big patch where, like, no, there was no nudity in any films at all. But now there's a lot more male nudity. Yeah, so we're definitely seeing that in in all genres yeah more sort of male nudity um the one that really springs to mind for me is scream you know you've had five films now mm. and all you've had is i mean a bra yeah you know no male nudity at all no. and and just just a bra so it, it's a horror film franchise a slasher film franchise that hasn't included nudity and really no sex apart from no. that one scene in in the first film mm. yeah you know so i think that kind of pushed it away from you know the 
women have to get their boobs out to be in a slasher film trope. Yeah. It's Saw, I don't think. Uh, Yeah, Saw 3 had that uh, ice death scene. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't... I'd I'd like to think that wasn't for titillation, but... mm. Yeah, um, but Deborah Voorhees uh, was also a little empowering about it as well. So I'm I'm not sure if this is the same interview, um, but during another 2013 interview, maybe the same one, uh, she revealed that her nudity in the film got her fired as a teacher at two schools years later. At one school, some boys got hold of her topless images from the film and text them around the school. That was three weeks before the end of the school year and she wasn't allowed to stay until graduation or sit with her students and fellow teachers at graduation. It devastated her and she went to the principal and said, look, I understand people are worried about this nudity thing, but it's not as if I'm going to tell a young girl to go pose nude. Not that there's anything wrong with it if I did. She said that um, she doesn't let what happened bother her. Uh, adding, I think people worrying about nudity in a film is silly and ridiculous because that's just, but that's just my personal opinion and my conflict of what's right and wrong. Theirs is different and that's okay, we could be different. Do you know what? It is fucking insane that she got sacked from a school because of that. Yeah. Like, what happened to the kids who were texting the images around? Exactly. They're the ones who did it. Yeah. You know, what she did in her past life is her fucking business. She was in a film. You know? Yeah. And and it's... At the end of the day, it's just a pair of boobs. I know. Like, really. Like, they're still there. While she's teaching, they're still there under her clothes. You know, sorry to scare you. Like, what the fuck? And I, th- I think it, it's one, one of those things where it is empowering for a woman to choose to be naked on screen. Yeah. You know? And if it serves the plot, then obviously I'm all for it. I mean, what... What we had was that the woman was always naked, but the man never was. And I I suppose what we're pushing towards, really, is that if you're going to have a sex scene, or if you're going to have a scene involving nudity Mm. with a man and a woman, then it should be on equal terms. Yeah. Because it doesn't make any sense otherwise. How many films have we watched where there's been a sex scene... The woman is left in bed completely nude, and then the man walks out, uh, gets out of the bed, and he's got his underpants on. Yeah. Well, how how have you managed to do anything with that? Yeah. You know? Um, So we are seeing this, a change in it. And I think it's good. And I, I do think... You know, being empowered and saying, you know, I chose to do this. This was mm. my choice. You know, she didn't do anything illegal. No. You know, well, and you know, if you've got a problem with that, then that's on you. Yeah. You prude. Absolutely. But then these are the same kind of schools that would have fired someone and been allowed to fire someone for being gay. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The the world and the world of education is a weird place and the way they teach things, it, it's concerning it's it, it it is very very strange um i think in america as well uh, with all due respect to anyone from america listening but i think in america the the school systems from what i've read and what i've seen are very weird and yeah. they differ so much between states and cities and and such yeah yeah it's not much better here no no 
Uh, but I, I don't I don't think anyone now in the UK... Well, I said I don't think. I know no one now in the UK could get sacked from any job for being gay. No. Um, but I remember... Uh, you remember Bianca Del Rio yeah. from uh, Drag Race? Um, she released a film, Hurricane Bianca, and the premise was that, as a man, Bianca was fired for being gay from a school teaching job mm-hmm. and then returned as... Bianca Del Rio, the drag queen, pretending to be a, you know, a, yeah. a, a cisgendered woman. Um, and that's the premise of the film. And it was based on the fact that in some states, you could still be fired for being gay. Yeah. Um, and that is the end of our massive tangent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What film are we talking about? <laughs> so, this film was originally written to have Corey Feldman as the star, reprising the role of Tommy Jervis. No relation to Holly Jervis. Um, however, he was already working on The Goonies, therefore the script was rewritten to have Feldman's appearance limited to a cameo. Lucky Corey Feldman. <laughs> Imagine having the choice between starring in Friday the 13th Part 5, A New Beginning... Or the Goonies. Hey, this could have been better if he wasn't it. You think? We'll get to it. Contrary to popular belief, A New Beginning was a hit at the box office. Uh, producer Frank Mancuso Jr. was so pleased with the take at the box office opening weekend that he called up director Danny Steinman and claimed the numbers were like the golden times. What the hell are golden times? Well, film just to make a lot of money um tommy's opening dream was different in the original script and arguably made him seem more of a suspect later on could you make any more of a suspect <laughs> it opens as a continuation of the ending of the previous film as a young tommy is taken to the same hospital as jason's corpse then in a sudden fit of psychotic rage he winds up attacking half the hospital staff trying to get to the morgue to find jason's body once he has finally found the body jason suddenly rises from the table uh, immediately after this, the adult Tommy wakes up in the van on his way to Pinehurst. I mean, yeah. that sounds like a better intro than what we got. Yeah. Um, the moment when Lana, played by Rebecca Wood, looks into the mirror, bears her breasts and cries, Showtime, was not in the original script. Wood had recently seen All That Jazz, uh, in which Joe Gideon uh, does something very similar. So she told the director about it and he loved the idea. I did I did notice that right after now we have seen all that jazz, I did get that reference. <laughs> I was like, oh okay. Now it makes a little more sense. I mean it still feels um weird. <laughs> it's a weird thing to have in the film, but uh, it makes a little more sense now I know the reference. One month prior to the film's release in the US, the MPAA demanded that 16 scenes featuring sex or graphic violence be edited in order to get an R rating instead of an X. The film ultimately required nine trips to the MPAA before finally being given its R rating. I think it's such a shame because, you know, we're horror fans. We like a a good cheesy, gory film. And so we're missing out. But also, people's hard work has gone into this. Yeah. And so when, at the end of the film, it says special effects, by, And you've sat there being like, oh, God, all these bloodless kills yeah. are so shit. 
it's a detriment to their reputation. Yeah, and it could have been so much better. This this film could have been so much better if it was uncut. I mean, you know, you look at My Bloody Valentine, um, and for many years, you know, I was very much like, oh, you know, this is a good film. Then when I watched the uncut version, I was like, no, shit, this is a great film. Mm. Like, it really does make a big difference. Yeah, absolutely. Because a slasher film is... a essentially the same formula each time we want gory kills we want throwaway characters you know and we want cheesy 80s everything yeah (laughs) then if you're missing one of those elements then it's just a film with throwaway characters yeah. that you don't really care about and then they don't really get exciting death scenes and it's just kind of like, oh, okay. I mean, the death scenes in this are exciting but they just, they, they cut Not away all of them. far yeah, too fast. The cutaways, the, the setups are fine. Um, I find with this film more than any of the others so far, the characters have been so throwaway. Yeah. N- no development whatsoever. Um, and we'll get into that as we go, but the more gore would have made the film more yeah. memorable and enjoyable. Reportedly, Deborah Voorhees' original sex scene was much longer and much more graphic, and that the film's editor, Bruce Green, was told by a producer uh, by the producer to trim the scene and make it look like a Pepsi commercial. Oh. But Voorhees uh, revealed in uh, an interview in 2013 that uh, the rumours about the sex scene being more graphic necessarily wasn't necessarily true. Oh. Did it look like a Pepsi commercial to you? Um, not really. <laughs> I don't know what my reference point is. My only <laughs> reference point for a Pepsi commercial is Britney Spears and Pink and Beyonce <laughs> doing the Gladiator routine. Yeah, so I don't know if that's the one they were going for. No. Um, Deborah Voorhees also said in an interview that her mother was fine with her on-screen nudity, but hated seeing her daughter killed on the big screen. And literally took to her bed for three days after the original screening. This... Oh, that's a little much. Um, <laughs> but this is what we've been talking about for yeah. pretty much our whole time on this podcast. Is that it's so weird, this horror at sexuality on film compared to graphic violence and murder. Yeah. It's so weird. Mm-hmm. No, I'm not saying that everyone should be able to watch these sexy scenes on film. I'm not saying that, you know, the rating system's there for a reason. Yeah. But to get so up in arms mm-hmm. about something that the majority of us do mm-hmm. and have done, and it's meant to be quite a positive thing, and it's, yeah. you know, it's the reason we're all here, Yeah, not trying to put the image of your parents going at it in your head. Um, but it's, it's the reason we're here. And just to be so horrified, but oh yeah. my lord, oh no, oh not boobs, oh. Uh-huh, yeah. oh well, we'll, I haven't got time to go on to that double standard, but uh-huh. you know. Um, this film was cast under a fake title uh, <gasps> called Repetition. Many of, the, <laughs> many of the actors in the film were not aware it was a Friday the 13th. Subtitles, same old shit. It was after a David Bowie song. I think that's what he did with all these films. They filmed them under the title of a David Bowie song. Oh, okay. Uh, many of the actors in the film were not aware it was a Friday the 13th installment until after they were cast in their roles. 
Amongst the underwear cast was lead actor John Shepard, who spent several months volunteering at a state mental hospital oh, to prepare for his role. <laughs> and then he felt really disappointed to discover that repetition was actually the fifth entry in the Friday the 13th series. Actor Dick Weand uh, stated that it wasn't until I saw part five that I realised what a piece of trash it was. <laughs> I mean, I knew the series' reputation, but you're always hoping that you're going <laughs> that yours is going to come out better. And director Danny Steinman stated that he shot a porno in the woods there. You wouldn't believe the nudity they cut out. Oh. Oh, so seemingly... So he says it's true. Deborah Voorhees says it isn't. Yeah. Well, it... Was he the one that she had no chemistry with? No, the director. Oh. Oh, I don't know. Okay. But she seems quite liberal anyway, so maybe she didn't think it was that bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no. Um, poor uh, Tommy Jervis. What <laughs> he's... Uh, <laughs> well, if you keep saying Jervis, do you mean Jarvis? Oh, whatever. Um, he thought he was doing something proper. Oh, but he <laughs> thought that he was going to get an Oscar nomination, Best Supporting Actor, and uh, he found out he was in Friday the 13th, Part 5. <laughs> Surely he read the script. Yeah, but I mean... But before volunteering, he must have read the script and know what it was about. You'd think so. Maybe they hid who Jason was. Maybe I mean maybe there was a killer, but they just didn't say. Maybe it was they Jason. just called him Roy in just the script. Spoiler alert! Like, who's this Roy? Oh, sorry, spoiler alert! Who's this Roy bloke? <laughs> um, yeah. So in her audition for the part of the over-the-top hick Ethel, Carol uh, Locatel wore a wig gifted to her by Burt Reynolds for a time playing a prostitute in his movie Sharky's Machine. Nice. The New Beginning people loved it, especially the part where she could provide her own wig. Um, that's not really what Locatel was going for. Um, surely they'd get her a new wig for the film, but she just went with it. Unfortunately, she temporarily volunteered the wig to the makeup department in the chance that uh, they'd need it for any reshoots. And they never gave it back to her. <gasps> no. Literally, <laughs> her wig was snatched. It was snatched. snatched. Absolutely snatched. Uh, Sherilyn Fenn was considered for the role of Violet, but turned it down to do just one of the guys. That's a shame. That is, that's a real shame, actually. Because um, if we're talking iconic dances... I know, yeah. You've got Violet and you've got Audrey Horn, <laughs> you know? So she could have been both. Yeah. Um... The, the 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 trouble never stopped for John Shepard and his method acting. Uh, according to director uh, Danny Steinman and co-stars Xavier Ross, Dominic Brassier and Debbie Sue Vo- Deborah Voorhees, Debbie Sue apparently is also her name, oh. um, there are a few minor problems with John Shepard being standoffish during the shoot. Uh, a malfunctioning rain machine that held up film in the finale and makeup effects having to be cut or worked around during editing after Paramount deemed them to be subpar. But production otherwise wasn't too problematic. On the other, sta- on the other hand, uh, Shepard himself, lead actress Melanie Kinnaman, co-star Dick Wayand and stuntman Tom Morga have alleged that Steinman spent most of the shoot binging on cocaine 
and veered between being verbally abusive to most of the cast and so high off his ass that the cinematographer had to direct certain scenes, only cleaning up on his act on days when Ross's mother was on set. Wow. I mean, and this is the shit, and this is the thing, this is the shit that directors would get, yeah. to get away with. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, and no one thought it was any different, mm-hmm. him just being a real twat Yeah. for the whole shoot. Yeah. You know, yeah, he thought he was directing an Oscar-worthy film called Repetition. Uh, <laughs> Well, I mean, he knew he was directing Friday I know, the 13th. I know, that, that's, but, that's you know, John, John Shepard on the other hand. Um, but yeah, just being able to get away with just being a, a complete knobhead. Yeah. It's, and I hope we're, we're in a different place now. The story's still come out, though. Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't get it. I mean, no, no offence. We love our Friday the 13th films and we love our, uh, you know, campy horror but you're directing Friday the 13th Part yeah. 5. You ain't that special, hun. Yeah. Especially with the end product. You ain't that special, hun. Mm-hmm. Gina Gershon and Darcy DeMoss were among actresses considered to play Tina. And they both read their parts with the producer and uh, with the guy who plays Eddie. Oh. Which one was Tina. Deborah Voice. Oh, okay. Oh, Gina Gershon. That would have been good. Would have. It would have been. Uh, Danny Steinman, director, was originally offered a two-picture deal to direct a Friday the 13th sequel, as well as a Last House on the Left sequel. And the latter ultimately falling through. Thank God. At that time, uh, Steinman had just made his official directorial debut with Savage Streets. However, he'd actually been working in exploitation cinema under various fake names (gasps) since 1973. Starting with the hardcore sex comedy High Rise. That was Steinman's uh, only adult film and an attempt to make a better version, uh, in his words, of Deep Throat. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I'm shocked that this is the director of Savage Streets. Yeah. I fucking love Savage Streets. I really do. Um,. Probably not for him, though, then. <laughs> I mean, he also, apparently, um, to Juliet Cummins, uh, she said that during filming, director, he, the director kept asking her to do extra nude scenes. She agreed because she was afraid she'd be fired, especially after other actresses were let go for reportedly refusing to do it. She had the same fear with uh, other films she appeared in around that time. Producers and directors kept telling her to take her clothes off and she reluctantly did it because she needed the work. She also pointed out how things have changed many years later. Young actresses are nominated for Oscars when they perform nude. But when she did them, most actresses were looked down upon and typecast in low-budget films where they spent most of their time naked. Yeah, and then there's a, there's a definite double standard there between what people view as acceptable nudity and unacceptable nudity. So yeah. To to go topless in a prestigious film is okay. Exactly. To go topless in a B-movie horror film is not okay. Yeah. Well, it's okay in either senses. It just, I think, in films like Friday the 13th, 
it feels forced. And well, like especially the actress if... was saying, yeah. she didn't necessarily want to do it Ooh. and it wasn't really integral to the character. What character did she Robin. play? She played Robin. So Robin. literally she was going to bed. Yeah. Like, there was no need for her to be topless. Yeah, and, and it, she, and we'll get to it when we get there, but th- there was no need for that nudity. It was, it, so it, it feels um, exploitative. Yeah. And seemingly it was exploited yeah, yeah. because she felt uncomfortable doing it. And it only gets worse. Uh, Darcy DeMoss, um, when she was obviously going for the role of Tina, um, apparently the director propositioned her during wardrobe fitting. And she was later fired. She says, obviously, because she said no. Um, but he has said it's because she refused to do more nude scenes. How does he think that's better? Oh my god! How, how does is, how is that better? Like that's acceptable, but you know the isn't, and they're both unacceptable. Yeah, absolutely! Wow, this guy's a dickhead. He really is a piece of shit. I regret saying nice things about his directing in Savage Streets. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised there wasn't more trivia like this for that film. Maybe, well, I suppose he was just starting off. Yeah. You know, he was starting out. Big, big, did, big, wasn't big really big balls yeah. until, you know, I'm assuming Savage Streets did well. Wow. Well, I mean, you don't treat Linda Blair that way. <laughs> I can assure you of that. He probably knew his place in Savage Streets. <laughs> um, can I just say, the trivia for this film is way more interesting than the actual film itself. <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs> There's so much of it. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's even this much for the first four films. Should <laughs> it be a behind-the-scenes making of documentary <laughs> somewhere? The uh, only cast members who knew the killer was Roy. Spoiler alert, the killer in this film is not Jason, it is Roy. Dun, dun, the paramedic. Dun. Uh, the only cast members who knew were Melanie Kinnaman, John Shepard, stuntman Tom Morgan, uh, who played Jason for most of the mass scenes, of course, and uh, Dick Wyand himself who plays Roy. Uh, however, when it came time to film the big reveal, hang on, yeah, so Dick Wayne was like, oh my God, I can't believe it was a Friday the 13th film. Oh, you piece of shit. Well, you're playing Jason, you fucking knob. But how did you not know? Like, how could he hide that from his script, that he was playing an imposter of Jason? And, yeah, well, maybe he just wasn't familiar with the previous <laughs> films. However, when it came time to film the big reveal, they all knew the twist ending was horrible. In fact, they filmed Roy's death scene twice. No one believed the audience would be able to see the uh, unmasked man and instantly remember him as the paramedic. <laughs> yeah. I, I tell you the truth. For many times when I watched this film when I was younger, I had no idea who it was under Jason's mask at the end. I, I really had no idea. Uh, until it became a big joke on the internet. I was like, oh, shit, that's who he's supposed to be. And I feel pretty dumb now, considering how obvious they make it up until that point. You, you mean it was the guy who was <laughs> staring intensely for a very uh, uh, uh. long time? The film's title, New Beginning, was chosen because it had been decided that Tommy would become the killer after his encounter with Jason in the final chapter, which was alluded to at the end of that film. Uh, Danny Steinman was instructed to do two things with this film. Deliver a shock, scare or kill every seven or eight minutes. And more importantly, turn Tommy into Jason. The ending with Tommy about to kill Pam was not originally meant to be uh, interpreted as a dream. And was instead intended to show that Tommy had gone crazy after his encounters with Jason. 
However, this plot twist was abandoned when fans demanded Jason's return and then he was resurrected in part six. Uh, our next episode about this a franchise somewhere in January, I believe. Um, had this film gone down well with fans, the producers would have brought John Shepard and Melanie Kinnaman back for a direct sequel. But it didn't. Thank God. I mean, what? if it ain't broke, don't fucking fix it. Uh-huh. Like, seriously? Yeah. Violet was originally uh, going to be killed by being stabbed in the crotch with the machete whilst exercising. Uh, a still photo featuring a makeup effect for that death scene is available online, apparently, if you want to see that. However, the producers found Violet's original cause of death to be tasteless, and it was changed to the one in the film. Yeah, it is It is a weird... It's... I don't understand. I, don't, I understand it's it's Roy in this film, um, but they make absolutely no differences to anything <laughs> to uh, <laughs> for that. So, I mean, Jason is sexless. Really, yeah. there's there's no sort of sexuality to his killings. So to do something like that is it again just feels exploitative because. There's nothing sexual mm-hmm. about Jason. But doesn't someone... Yeah, the guy gets a machete to the gooch in part three. And I swear someone gets lifted up by the vagina. No. It's that... Part four, the harpoon to the guy's yeah. crotch. Oh, okay. Oh, that was a guy as well, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. True. Um, I think the gooch one was just wrong place at the wrong time. He just happened to be on his... That's for it. But, I mean, there's nothing sexual about... No. Jason is just really, like, animalistic. Very mm-hmm. much like, you know, Michael Myers. Yeah. Uh, whereas, like, um, Freddy Krueger, mm-hmm. at points, he is, you know, more sexual. Yeah. I said uh, sexual, not sexy. <laughs> just so you know. And after that lengthy trivia section... Oh, God. Many tangents later... The final bit of trivia is the body count is 19, not including the dream sequences. That's high. A New Beginning and Jason Takes Manhattan were tied with the highest body count of the series until Jason Goes to Hell surpassed them with 27 kills. So the three worst films in the <laughs> franchise have the highest body counts. Hey, come on. Jason Goes to Hell is better than Jason X. Yeah, I suppose so. Um, still haunted, we're getting into the film, uh, still haunted by his past Tommy Jarvis, or Tommy Jervis, Stop it. Holly's brother, uh, who as a child killed Jason Voorhees, is sent to a secluded halfway house in the countryside, where the killing of a young man triggers a brutal series of murders in the area. Uh, we start with the Corey Feldman variant of Tommy Jarvis, uh, in a yellow raincoat, making his way to the gravestone of, jo- of Jason Voorhees. I said Johnny Voorhees then, uh, and just stares at it. Yeah, it gives it a good staring um, until he's disturbed by a couple of bros who are there to dig up Jason f- for shits and giggles. This is this is really weird for me because, um, as you know, I mentioned on the podcast so many times now. Friday the Thirteenth was the first horror film I watched in full. This was the second Friday the Thirteenth film I watched. So I was like, wait a minute, why the fuck is Corey Feldman... Because obviously I was a big Lost Boys fan. I was like, why the fuck is Corey Feldman randomly in this at the beginning? Yeah. I watched it in a really weird order. Um, 
But yeah, I watched Corey Feldman's career in a weird order. <laughs> wow, yeah. Because it's it's like not knowing the years when I was younger is like, well, is this before or after the Goonies? So why why is he doing this after the Goonies? And I'm like, well, was that after Stand by Me? I mean, Stand by Me is a you know a big deal. Yeah. Why would why would you play that after? But you know. But yeah, he's back and uh, doesn't do before much. license to drive. Yeah. Like this yeah. yeah cool. Doesn't say a single word. Um, he doesn't. Looks like he's about to be lured to a drain by uh, a killer clown. Um, he's serving that yellow jacket realness. Two guys, one with a bucket hat, one with a cap. There's okay. Words that probably, bucket hat, by the way. Um, merged hat and cap together there. Uh, they show up and start digging up Jason's grave. Jason wakes up and kills both guys before walking over to Tommy to start some shit for killing him in the last film. He's like, oh, you little bastard. Yeah, question, why was he buried with a machete? I don't know, but you know what? I can't yeah. complain too much because he looks fucking cool in the sequence. I he love does. the worms coming out of the eyes and it's just fucking, it looks disgusting. I'm great. assuming this was of influence on part six. I, I'd hope so because it's pretty much, it almost goes down the same way. Yeah. Um, but as we know, part six is very meta and is pretty much a satire on the rest of the franchise. So it wouldn't surprise me if that seems a direct parody Yeah. of this, but we'll get to that more fun entry, uh, in the next episode of <laughs> in January. Um, two, yeah. So these two guys are killed. Um, Jason is like, what the fuck are you saying? Tommy Jarvis. And, uh, he wakes up. After he swings his machete towards him. Yes. It was all a dream. It was. And we get teenage Tommy who wakes up looking like Cliff Richard. Cliff Richard. I thought he was given the blue Power Ranger. If he was dressed as Cliff Richard, yeah. Okay. Well, I, I thought... Oh. I mean, come on. This guy's going to be a fucking teenager. Are you serious? Yeah. There, I don't think there's any <laughs> teens in this film. Um, he wakes sweaty in the back of a minibus. Um, and then we get the opening credits. Well, yeah, I mean, we get the opening credits after the camera zooms in on the side of this van on a sign saying Unger Institute of Mental Health. Oh, okay. So that's where he's been. All right, then. Cool. Thanks for letting us know. Did you not see that? I did, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, come on. Tom, I'm... I don't know what to think about this guy because he looks like everyone's creepy uncle. But at the same time, he is ripped. Like, he has been working out in that mental institute. Yeah, I, I did I did note later on. Um, it, it's surprising that considering all that he's been through, he's still found time to be really, really ripped. <laughs> um, a fake Jason mask explodes through the Friday the 13th title. Uh, and then we get the usual black background, white text, opening credits with a score. The score's great as always. Um, I love that this mask exploding is really over the top. I thought that was great. Um, Tommy is transferred to the Pinehurst halfway house, managed by Dr. Matt Letter and his assistant, Pam Roberts. There, Tommy will be sharing the place with a circle of other teens, including lovers Eddie Calso and Tina McCarthy. The stutterer, Jake Patterson. The goth, Violet Moraine. <laughs> I mean, if that's what goths look like in the 80s, then... 
get me some fucking black nail varnish because she is the coolest character in this fucking film. Um, the serious Robin Brown, the compu- the compulsive eater Joey Burns. Fucking hell. This is Wikipedia, by the way. These Wikipedia's given them more of a fucking character development than the film. <laughs> and the young Reggie Winter, whose grandfather, George Winter, works as the facility's cook. When did they get surnames? I know, yeah. <laughs> um, Pam keeps trying to talk to Tommy, but he's just ignoring her, despite the fact that he's not a mute character, and he'll actually be talking in no time, so he's just being rude. It is, actually, yeah. And because he's being rude, they decide to talk shit about him behind his back. <laughs> and uh, Matt goes, the kid's a real talker. Pam, laughing, says, yeah, I noticed. <laughs> and then, like, Matt's like, oh, girl, sit down. Have I got some fucking tea for you? He spills the tea. And then he's like, so, in the final chapter, he was actually played by Corey Feldman. And he killed Jason Voorhees. And she's like, bitch, no. And he's like, yeah. Yeah, I was like, oh, oh, I thought it was a, uh, I thought it was a repetition. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he delivers all the exposition, and we find that that Tommy is there to prepare himself to re-enter society. Got a while to go before that. Yes, whilst he's unpacking, Tommy is startled by an actual kid. Someone who actually uh, looks like uh, the age they're playing. <laughs> Not in their 30s. Yeah. Reggie and his giant spider. Well, before that, he's sitting there staring at a picture of his mum, his sister Trish, and uh, and, the, and the dog. But then he pulls out a pocket knife and the and the score starts playing some really eerie music as he's staring at this knife and like, okay, you really want us to think he's the killer. Well, I missed that red herring. Yeah, like, it is so... It's so lazy, they're like, okay, yeah, you, you've got to think it's Tommy, he's definitely not going to be him, but you've got to think it's him. But yeah, Reggie uh, informs him that he's not one of the kids there, so oh, well, that's, you, know, you actually look like a kid, so that's surprising. Um, and he informs him, they call me Reggie the Reckless, and no spider scare me. But what does scare him? Weird masks. Yes, made by Tommy in the previous film. Gives him a jump scare. Reggie explains that he's just visiting because his grandfather works there. And two cops bring back Eddie and Tina who were screwing their heads off in the woods. Uh, well, no, they were in the neighbours, on the neighbours' property. Oh, they? okay. So they've had a complaint from the neighbour that they've been screwing their heads off on uh, her property. Shortly thereafter, the neighbour <laughs> appears, and it's Ethel. Yeah, Ethel Hubbard. A short, boisterous woman with a muddy face and a bad wig. <laughs> and her son, Junior. Yeah, her son, Junior, is... Desperate to be Randy Quaid in uh, the Vacation films. Um, okay. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, they're pretty much a parody of... What um, rural people were uh, thought of in the 80s, don't you think? Yes. Um, backwoods, would you... Would she's... You back, uh, I don't know what the word... She's serving uh, Glenn Close in Hillbilly Elegy. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Fucking hell. Um, yeah, they show up and she's just like swearing her head off and everything. She threatens everyone with a bomb 
if Eddie and Tina keep having sex in their yard. Yeah, she did, yeah, she she did say that she'll shoot people and murder them if they're ever on her property again. <laughs> it's such a weird decision. This is such a weird decision to include these characters. Um, it's like the bumbling cops in Halloween Five. It's kind of like, why, what are you doing here? Why, why are these in the film? It's just people there literally to up the body count. Yeah. That um, that that's all really. You know, it's it's the formula of sequels. The, yeah. The body count has to be higher. This is why people watch. So people are introduced and then killed off. Introduced, killed off. For really no reason whatsoever. And it's fun. Particularly but... with the twist of yeah. it being Roy. Oh, absolutely. Like, what's the point? Yeah. You don't know these people. Yeah. It's, I mean, it, it makes it fun. It helps make this one watchable, you know, with all the death scenes and whatever. You, the film's many things. It's not particularly good, but it's at least it's entertaining. Yeah, and Ethel's one of the more memorable characters yeah. as well, you know. The, 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 the actress that plays her is a good comedy actress, you know. Yeah. She's funny. Uh, she's got a way with words. She's got an absolute foul mouth on her. And it's funny. It's, it's silly. Um... A bit, you know, stereotypical. Not, not particularly flattering for people who no. who live on farms. Um, but so it's just fucking annoying. Though. Yeah, but it's it's just at the end of the day, and I, I was gonna save this, but I'm gonna use it now. It's a fucking stupid film. It's a stupid <laughs> film, but sometimes you need to watch a stupid yeah. film. But you know, they make stupid choices. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the sheriff asks Matt what Tom... Uh, yeah, because this time she threatens them all with a bomb and everyone, including the police, are ah, oh, what are you like, Heffel? What are you like, Heffel? Oh, my God, there she goes again. Um, the sheriff asks Matt what Tommy Jarvis is like and uh, Matt's like, oh, he's just like all the other kids. And the cop's like, oh, good luck with that one. You'd be asking a really awkward way. Yeah. <laughs> Like, it's like he wants his autograph. Yeah, but also oh, what's like, like? in a bit of a creepy way. So it's kind of also a bit like, oh, so is this guy... Seeing it again, let, let's be very clear. The first time I watched this film, I, I knew the twist. So I looked at it as if it's a, a murder mystery yeah. sort of thing. Because that's how it's meant to play out. Yeah. But if you didn't know that there was a twist and you thought this was a Friday the 13th film with Jason, there is no indication that there's going to be a big reveal at the end. (laughs) No, that's what's weird. So when these red herring scenes happen, it's just super awkward. So this sheriff, who I'm assuming is meant to be a red herring, Mm -hmm. asks these questions to Matt, but in a really awkward Mm -hmm. way. Which ultimately means nothing because the sheriff wasn't the killer. So it's just like, well, the sheriff's just awkward then. Yeah. Um, Joey is eating a chocolate bar and bugs Violet and Robin whilst they're putting the washing out. And they're basically telling him to fuck off. And I don't blame him because he's fucking annoying. I feel like... chocolate all over. He does. The fresh white sheets. Yeah, I feel like he's uh, this film's Shelley... And the guy from part one, uh, who gets killed off screen, the the prankster of the film. I feel like he was that sort of annoying role, but doesn't last for long. It's it's 
it's very strange this film's depiction of the teenagers who are at this halfway house so seemingly they're at this halfway house because they've had mental health issues Mm. or they're you know sort of mentally handicapped in some way yeah um and that's the halfway house is there to help them uh, gain skills to allow them to live, you know, it, it, in, you know, the city or, or wherever yeah. they want to live, you know. And because these characters don't get any real backstory or it's never... They don't get any story. They don't get any development whatsoever. No. This feels... The, the character of Joey feels like a real over-the-top stereotype. Yeah. And it's... I mean, it's the 80s, isn't it? You know? Yeah, it's not very surprising. Um, but from a modern perspective, it's like, oh, you know, this, yeah. is, this isn't good. Because it's... I don't know. It just feels like very stereotypical. Yeah. Of what people perceive to be you know, a mentally handicapped person. Well, I mean, look at the director is. I don't think uh, his morals are in place for many things. Um, Vic Fadden, uh, another page- patient who was certainly not a teenager. Uh, no, not not even close. Well, <laughs> Joey's not even close either. No. Both, these two men in their <laughs> mid-30s... I think Vic might be uh, pushing 40s. I think uh, so. He... <laughs> He's gripped by a fit of madness caused by Joey's constant pestering and brutally kills him with an axe, leading to his arrest. Yeah, um, well, um, Joey tells Vic his sad backstory. He gets a little bit of backstory. His sad backstory of being bullied and orphaned from a young age. Vic doesn't appreciate a sob story, though, and kills Joey with his axe. (laughs) Um, yeah, so... (laughs) This is the infamous scene where people are like, what? Like, yeah. What is this about? Um, Vic's arrested. He sent, is. Sent to prison. Yeah. Um, does an awkward stare, so we know he's a red herring. See if he, he might but break out and come back. That's the thing. When I first watched this, is who I thought it was going to be. Vic, yeah. Yeah, I thought, come on, it's obvious. Of course it's going to be him. Um, but... We do get to see the killer soon. There's two ambulance drivers show up to take Joey's body away. Uh, Matt tells the sheriff from earlier that Joey had no family and was shuffled around from home to home until he got there. One of the ambulance drivers, Roy Burns, is immediately horrified when he sees the body. The cameraman focus on, focuses on the supposedly random character for far too long. Way too long. <laughs> Uh, the other the other ambulance driver is uh, chewing bubblegum and having a great time. He's like, come on, Roy, come get your hands dirty. He certainly does. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. his uh, ambulance, his paramedic, excuse me, colleague, he seems to be enjoying the whole thing. Yeah. Um, calls the horrified teens pussies. Yeah. Um, for not wanting to see the corpse of their friend. 
with his arm hacked off. Um, why he takes the sheet off for everyone to see, I, I don't know why. <laughs> well, in a bizarre series of events, Roy, this random paramedic that we, you know, we shouldn't be paying any attention to, because why would we, looks menacingly at the camera. <laughs> and we are taken to the next scene where some people are about to get fucking murdered. Yes. Come on, guys. We go straight to a couple of obnoxious uh, rockers. Uh, now, Vinny and Pete. Vinny and Pete. Now, I'm, I mean in the, the like, 50s sense. <laughs> Just like they were in the 50s. Um, they're serving Marlon Brando in the wild one. And they're bickering whilst trying to fix their car. Um, gay couple? Maybe. Maybe. Um, gay couple who watch Greece. That'd be too times. much development. Um, one goes for a pee in the woods. I think it was a pee, wasn't it? Yeah. He goes to uh, um, relieve himself in the woods. And the other one's left at the car. Yeah. And he has a flare shoved into his mouth. <laughs> oh, no, they're definitely a gay couple then. A phallic symbol like that. Oh, God, yeah. That's their punishment. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so... Oh, so it's not... It's not Marlon Brando... It's uh, cruising. cruising. <laughs> um, yeah, great, great death scene. It's probably the one that lingers the most out of all of them. Um, you get to see that flare in there for quite a while. Yeah, yeah, it's it's funny. It, it I mean, it's a, it's a funny kill. Yeah. Um, what's the one? Oh, um, that's kind of similar. Oh, it's um, one of those. Party thing. I think part seven. Part seven, yeah. yeah. Um, Pete comes back to the car singing uh, a rat a tat tat to uh, and gets his throat slit because the singing was that bad. Because the singing's bad. Also, they both have filthy mouths. <laughs> really disgusting. The words that come out of their mouths is horrifying. His song is singing about, I'm going to fucking kill you I'm gonna beat your ass if you don't fix this car um the one says cunt one and exactly uh, <laughs> one thing that is funny is that he's revving up the car and it's not working I'm gonna kill you if you don't fix this car I'm gonna beat your ass and then the car works yeah so seemingly Roy has fixed the car <laughs> time Roy is there fixing the car they put absolutely no thought into no. this twist whatsoever no. and I love that on the game when you play as Roy you can actually still do like your teleporting and everything because I mean as far as we know in this film Roy can teleport yeah yeah and one, one thing and now you've brought it up one thing is the fact that he walks like Jason yeah so he, he walks does. really slow <laughs> And, like, <laughs> follows people. And it's kind of like, if you're going to kill these people anyway, you might as well run, bitch. Because <laughs> they ain't going to be telling anyone, oh, well, the old Jason used to walk really slow. <laughs> um, but then again, I don't think he did. I mean, we've seen him run in parts two that is true. and three. And I'm sure he was very quick in part four as well. He was slower in part four, but I'm sure he still ran at one. And a good one swimmer, point. despite what yeah. Freddy vs. Jason would tell you. A good swimmer. 
Um, but in this one, he, he walks so slow. It's like, well, maybe it's a Roy thing then. <laughs> maybe. And yeah, and then every Jason after's copied it. Yeah. Like... <laughs> Shirtless beefcake Tommy is in his bedroom hearing his child self shout die and Trish shout Tommy when he has a vision of Jason standing behind him with an axe in the mirror. The OG Jason. Yeah, good old Trish. I miss Trish. Yeah. I liked her. A voice cameo. Um, and this I... is where I put, it's good to see that despite all his troubles, he still works out. I know. And yeah, this is like really a massive red heron again. Like they are desperate for you to think it's him again. And just, ugh, it just renders everything so pointless. And also it's red herrings for a film that initially you don't know who is a mystery. <laughs> I know, yeah. It's like, as far as we're concerned, Jason is killing these, yeah. you know, these people. There's nothing to indicate or to definitely say that this isn't Jason. Because we've seen Jason come back from the dead. Yeah. You know, a Nightmare on Elm Street's a thing now. So slasher films had gone into the sort of the fantasy territory. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't completely beyond belief that he's risen from the grave. You know, it's, it's silly. Yeah. Turns out, not as silly... As Roy being the killer. <laughs> and it's something they would do in part six. And then from then on, mm. he's Jason, who... Um, zombie he's Jason, zombie. essentially. You know, and it could have started now, because yeah. slasher films had gotten to that point. Um, what was the point I was making? Yes, no, stupid twist. Yeah, stupid twist. Violet sets a place for Joey during breakfast, and Jake is fucking fuming. He is, actually. He's absolutely fuming. And Matt's like, uh, look, I know it's not easy for everyone, so let's just have breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Violet is serving crimped Terry Nunn, take my breath away, hairdo realness. She is an icon. I, I love Violet. She is absolutely top tier for the 13 characters. She's part Terry Nunn and part... Susie Sue. Susie Sue. And another part, and this is very niche, the goth girl from Daria. <laughs> She's given all of that and more. <laughs> um, Tommy awkwardly shows up and is asked to tell Eddie breakfast is ready. But before he could do so, in a bizarre series of events, Eddie gives him a jump scare wearing one of his masks. So Tommy picks him up, flips him over <laughs> through a fucking table... Tries punching him to death and is pulled off him by Matt. I shit you not. Yeah, and (laughs) as unbelievable as that is, (laughs) and obviously we're still in red herring territory here, as unbelievable as that is, it's never mentioned or dealt with afterwards. No! There's no sort of bad blood between Eddie and Tommy. The next time we see Eddie, there's no mention of it. Sure. Uh, uh, Does these other characters... Not a black eye or anything? No. Or bruised? No, of course not. I mean, with these other characters, you wouldn't even think they know the other characters exist. No. Like, no one has any sort of chemistry or connection at all. And people, uh, they kind of only interact with the same people. Yeah. Really. So you only get Tina interacting with Eddie and you never really I think I think she does a little interaction with Violet but they're all so separate and it does I mean it absolutely does not feel like a friendship group at all 
does no. not. <laughs> it really doesn't. No, no, no one really cares about each other. It's weird. It's weird. It's it's definitely up to this point the one where I was like, I don't give a shit about anyone <laughs> apart from Violet, but the, for completely different reasons. <laughs> A uh, Pam, I can't. I give a shit about Pam. Oh, of course, Pam. But Pam's not part of that group. I mean, she looks younger than all the group. Yeah, so. <laughs> but she's not part of that team group. No, you know. So that everyone, everyone around that table is completely disposable. Yeah, because you don't, you just don't care. Ethel is uh, having a great time chopping up some chicken. She's really enjoying herself, isn't she? Yeah, whilst her son is eating her stew, and she turns to him. <laughs> She's got a wave of words. You big dildo, eat your damn slop. Yeah. <laughs> Best line of dialogue in any Friday the 13th film. That is very true. Wait, no. What? It's coming up. Oh, I suppose, does singing count? Oh, wow, no. <laughs> um, She's visited by a completely <laughs> random... Re- <laughs> by a completely random red herring... <laughs> Raymond um, Joffrey, his um, name. Does he? He didn't get a name in the film. The fuck Apparently, his name from? Raymond Joffrey. Well, he's a completely random dude who's looking, who happens to be rather tall <laughs> and fairly well built. The exact same build as Jason. Um, who's there looking for food? He hasn't eaten in a couple of days, yeah. and he'll work for it. So Ethel says he can clean all the shit out of the chicken coop. Um, and that's that. That's the yeah. scene. That's the, that's it. Well, she tells her son he's ugly, and that's it. Yeah, well, she does that a lot. Um, we then cut to Roy and his colleague picking up the rocker bodies. <laughs> what what happens here, Gary? So the sheriff is talking to himself, and he's like. What the hell's going on here? Roy literally turns around and says, You're talking to me, Sheriff? Oh, I thought you were talking to me. No, Roy, just get him out of here. Roy, come on, seriously. If you're going to go around pretending to be Jason Voorhees killing people, you've got to be a little more discreet than that, hon. Exactly. Like... (laughs) You're talking to me? You think I did this? I didn't do this. Who said I did this? Like, I can't believe they kept this in there. So fucking stupid. But I think it's because the twist is so stupid and so ridiculous that even with this in there, when you're watching it for the first time, if you don't know that Roy's a killer, you wouldn't think it's him. But then it's just silly, it's just stupid, awkward yeah. dialogue. Yeah. If you're going through, if you're going through this film, and you know you're very much entitled to the first time watching it, if you're going through this film thinking Jason's the killer. Because that's what a Friday the 13th film is. Yeah. Apart from the first one. But that's what a Friday the 13th film is. Mm-hmm. Jason killing people. Then this super awkward moment is just like, what the fuck? Yeah. What's the point? What is this for? You're just trying to build up your fucking runtime, mate. Because you've got nothing else. You know, as we've said before about random characters and just being put in there to build up the body count. Absolutely. These next two characters really is scraping the bottom of the barrel. They are clutching at straws here. We get the guy who fucking drove Tommy to the halfway house. Yeah. Like, seriously, he had one line of dialogue before that. Why is he back? 
So Billy, who we find out his name is, is there, he's at a diner to pick up his waitress girlfriend, Lana. Um, yeah, Lana we, looks like Katie Hopkins. She does. And he, Billy, looks like someone's dad going through a midlife crisis. He does, he does. He's doing a bit of cocaine in the car whilst Lana flashes her tits to the diner bathroom mirror. Says, it's showtime. Yeah. Um, he's wearing, I think, the um, hand-me-downs from those two rockers earlier. <laughs> I swear it's a black leather jacket yeah. and like a uh, horizontal white and black striped T-shirt. It's like... <laughs> You're a bit too old for that, mate. Uh, Lana hears something smash as she's singing a song about not knowing if Billy loves her, but she thinks he does. Um, and does she just go, girl, you are so hot. Yeah. So she dismisses the noise and goes back to the bathroom, and then she's like, girl, you are so hot. <laughs> Someone throws a cat at her. Yeah, take a drink if you're playing uh, the slasher film drinking game. Start or buy a cat. It's been a while, isn't it? Yeah. Not since the second, second film. film. Yeah, where someone asked for a cat. Um, someone kills Billy with an axe to the head. Who Lana. <laughs> Lana goes outside to find his car empty and waits in it. She finds the cocaine on the floor, reaches for it, but notices someone standing there with an axe. And as she tries to escape, she gets an axe to the stomach. Yeah, just before that, she looks at herself in the car mirror as well. I've never known a character in a film <laughs> to just constantly be looking in the mirror for the whole time. Yeah. Admittedly, she's not in the uh, film for a very long time, but no. part, like good three quarters of it, she's got a face in the mirror. <laughs> Tommy is being a shirtless creep again. Topless and sweaty. Watching Eddie and Tina from his window uh, before he spots Jason outside of an axe. After a couple what, of just being Eddie, killed with an axe. Were Eddie and Tina out there? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I thought you were just looking at some chickens. No, he's watching them. Uh, he's doing his best Laurie Strode impression. He is. S- slash Mad World music video. <laughs> All around me, I feel <laughs> Um, the sheriff tells the mayor that he uh, thinks Jason Voorhees has come back to life and is responsible for the murders. And the mayor, who should be well aware by now... Is that who that was? Yeah. The mayor? He okay. should be well aware by now that Jason Voorhees is fully capable of coming back to life and killing people. Yeah? Of course, he's like, get the fuck out of here. What the fuck do you mean? Jason ain't alive, he's dead. How's he killing people? Come on, guys. We're five films in now. How do you not believe this is Jason Voorhees? Of course it's fucking, you know, exactly. of course you'd think it's him. And then he gets like an ashtray, doesn't he? So Jason was cremated. <laughs> this is Jason. <laughs> and I'm assuming this is the filmmaker's moment where they think the audience now know that Jason's dead and this is some sort of murder mystery. But immediately you're like, okay, the cop's lying. Clearly he was never yeah, found. And then you're just like, <laughs> yeah... Like, well, things, shit happens. Eddie and Tina go into the woods and have uh, one minute sex. Oh my God. If I've got, that. I put Eddie and Tina neglect their laundry duties to get frisky in the woods. Uh, the chicken shit dude watches them until he, <laughs> until, so the red herring didn't last very long. No. Uh, he's killed with a machete. Um, the, then Eddie goes, I need to wash up. So I was like, wait, that shag was less than a minute. <laughs> Judith Meyer's got a longer scene too. 
Well, just like a Pepsi commercial. Just, uh, just like a Pepsi commercial. Uh, yeah, so he goes to wash off in the creek whilst Tina does some naked sunbathing. Wash off? I have no idea. It's, it's spunk. Um, Tina does some naked sunbathing for a bit uh, before she's killed with a pair of garden shears to the eyes. Such a great kill. But the problem is, you don't fucking see anything. You don't, no. You only see the aftermath. You see the garden shears going up, and that is it. I mean, it's given the burning. But the thing is, if you're going to show the that aftermath... The burning, it did, it? yeah. But if you're going to show the aftermath anyway, you might as well show the scene. Like, yeah. what's the difference? Uh, yeah, so Eddie comes back and finds Tina's corpse, and then a really nasty kill. This um, is the best... For me, this is the best one of the yeah. film. The killer wraps... Uh, Roy, should we say... The secret's out of the bag. Are we saying Roy Roy, now? Roy wraps about around Eddie's eyes and a tree. He twists it tighter and tighter with a branch, eventually just killing him from crushing his eyes. Yeah. Now, come on, Roy. I'm, I'm sure you're a very strong man. You're not that strong. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Uh, meanwhile, Reggie's grandfather agrees to let him visit his brother Demon. Yes, his name is actually Demon. Well, it's night time now, isn't it? It is. Um, Pam offers to accompany him whilst bringing Tommy along. What could go wrong? <laughs> yeah, it's now night time and Pam is taking an impatient Reggie to see his brother Demon. Pam and Matt, for plot purposes, think it would be a good idea if Tommy joined them. So he does. <laughs> And as they're driving there, the score gets more and more intense. It's like, oh, come on, you're just driving to a fucking trailer park. Yeah, and then stops the moment they get yeah. there. It's like, what's with the intense music? They're just driving. Yeah, Reggie is reunited with his brother um, and his brother's girlfriend, Anita. When he sees her, he says, freaking A, where did you get that? Yeah, which um, <laughs> is played out as a real cute moment, but it's actually a bit rude. It is rude. A little demeaning, isn't it? I mean, it? Demon and Anita... Fashion icons. Yes. Definitely yes. going for Michael Jackson. Uh, Demon. Go Thriller, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Anita is just... She's just serving. She is... She's serving a look. Um, he... The actor that played Demon... Um, Return of the Living Dead? Oh, yeah. He was in Return yeah. of the Living Dead, wasn't he? Yeah, I believe so. I think he played a, a similar character, yeah. didn't he? Um, but yeah, these by far the best characters in the film. They yeah. are. Apart from Pam, maybe. Um, well, Pam is fully joining in on the scene. She's enjoying some enchiladas with Reggie, Demon and Anita. Yeah, Tommy's they not don't partaking. Come, no, I hope they don't come back to haunt them. Yeah. Tommy meets Junior and gets into a fight with him. <laughs> a really overcomplicated fight um, that goes on for far too long. And the thing is, Junior's got, you know, some weight on him as well. But mm. Tommy's just, like, throwing him around like a ragdoll. Like, yeah. Okay, is Tommy, like, super strong yeah, now? Apparently. Is this, you know, this Absorb whole... Absorb Jason's powers. Tommy's <laughs> the killer thing. Is like, oh, okay. So I can see where you're going for. Going for it now. Yeah. You know, this guy's fucking Clark Kent and Superman. Then he runs away uh, into the woods, and after Pam and Reggie leave to find Tommy, in one of the best scenes of the film, 
Yeah. This is the best scene of the film, don't you think? I think it is. Demon has a severe case of Code Brown, Code Brown. from the enchiladas and runs to the outhouse after declaring, It's some damn enchiladas! <laughs> um, the shitter starts shaking. It does. And it's Anita. <laughs> and he informs her, You're going to get it, bitch. To which she says, I'll lighten up, demon. You'll feel much better after you've shit. <laughs> You'll also feel much better after a sing-song. One of the greatest songs in film history um, takes place during this scene. Would you like to give a rendition? Ooh, baby. <laughs> hey, baby. Ooh, baby. Hey, baby. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck they're singing. Um, but it's amazing. Well, it's... it's. I'm assuming a rip-off of Why Do Why Falls Fall in, in Love. love. <laughs> it's definitely to the tune of that. And it's, um, it's so weird that so many of the characters in this film are, like, influenced by 50s and 60s, <laughs> like, music. <laughs> like, what's with the rockers? <laughs> I'm assuming you call them rockers. You would call them rockers, wouldn't I you? I have no idea. Like, in, in, in England, it was mods and rockers. Mm. And I know that went into the 80s, uh, 70s and 80s, but they would be rockers. They're the ones that wore the leather jackets and thought they were rebels mm-hmm. about a cause, sort of thing. Well, whatever. Um, but yeah. It's an iconic scene. It's an iconic scene. Uh, until Anita gasps. Yeah. As the subtitles told us. Yeah, the uh, shit starts shaking again. <laughs> and Demon opens the door to find Anita dead outside. Well, he does. Do you know what he doesn't do before he goes outside? Wipe. Wipe his ass. <laughs> yeah, and he dies of a shitty ass because he does. the killer start. Uh, Roy somehow now has a large spike. Yeah. Um, Excuse and me. Uh, he's shoving it through the shitter. Uh, he gets Demon's leg at first, but then eventually gets it through his chest. He does. Um, I don't know if we're being pedantic or not, but in so many films... People don't wipe before <laughs> they leave the store. <laughs> um, so he, he the, the poor bastard died with, you know, an unwiped backside. I mean, Roy's making a difficult job for himself there because now he's going to have to uh, literally clean that shit up that when he takes the body true. away. That is very true. That is very true. his job. Um, upon Pam and Reggie's return to the Institute, they are warned of the disappearance of Matt and Reggie's grandfather. Pam goes to search for them, leaving Reggie with Violet, Jake and Robin. Junior go <laughs> In a bizarre series of events. Very bizarre. Junior goes home and starts doing circles on his motorbike while screaming. Yeah, he's having a full-on meltdown because um, Tommy beat him up, basically. Yeah. He's screaming and hollering, which I think is the official term. <laughs> As he rides his bike in circles, as Ethel tells him to get inside and eat her very large pot of stew, yeah. despite her only just adding the ingredients. Yeah. She's like, get in and eat my stew, get in and eat my stew. As she's still cutting up the carrots and throwing them in, I'm like, bitch, they're only going to be cooked for hours. It's so weird. It's like she always has another one prepared because he was eating stew earlier on while yeah. she was making stew. Oh, it's got stew. Um... Yeah, and uh, she he, he tries telling her about Tommy hurting him and asks her to murder him. Um, but before he can continue, 
the killer fucking decapitates him with a meat cleaver um, before smashing through the kitchen window and giving Ethel a meat cleaver to the head, causing it to squeeze her tomatoes and her head to fall into the stew. Yes. So it turns out no one will be eating this too. <laughs> I mean, again, Roy, where are you getting this strength from? Smash yeah, through a fucking window. And stealth as well. He's fucking <laughs> stealthy. It's very much giving me, at Silent Night, Deadly Night, the uh, bobsleigh decapitation. Oh, yeah, of course. Yes. Uh, Jake and Robin watch A Place in the Sun uh, whilst he tries telling her that he fancies her and wants to make love to her. So I've put in my notes, Jake and Robin, two of the teens I didn't need to mention until now... <laughs> Uh, uh, what are they watching? A place in the sun. A place in the sun. Why are they? Why are they <laughs> acting like it's a horror film? A place in the sun isn't a horror film. No. Are you sure it's a place in the it's sun? It's a place in the sun. That's what they're watching. Again, more references to things that they probably wouldn't be referencing at their age. Yeah, yeah that, is, that is a strange. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's Elvis on the uh, on the TV tonight. <laughs> Um, place it. Why are they playing it out like it's not the fucking living dead? Yeah. Robin laughs at him and he leaves to go talk to Violet, but she's too busy dancing. Robin, that is very. That's so, <laughs> it. It's so pointless. It is. Like, what is what is the point of her laughing at him? I know. Like, if you're just gonna kill them off within the next five <laughs> minutes. <laughs> yeah, he's killed off screen. Uh, Robin. Well, Violet's listening. She's too busy dancing to some, like, jazz, funk, electronic music. (laughs) And then Jake gets killed by Meat Cleaver. Yeah. Straight away. He does. Robin, uh, tries and fails to wake Reggie up, so she goes to her room and gets undressed. She plans out an apology to Jake and calls herself stupid before going to bed and finding Jake's corpse next to her. Something she didn't initially see when she first got into bed. Um, Roy sticks his machete through the bed and kills Robin. Traditional Friday the 13th kill. Yes. Yeah, a little throwback. Um, yeah, she's inexplicably topless. Yeah. I, I don't, I, I don't, I can't speak on, on sort of behalf of women, but I don't think women sleep like that. I mean, in I'm, just their knickers. I'm not sure about that. Well, but either she, way, she's in the top bunk. Yeah, I, I mean, like she's sharing the room with someone. There was really no need for her to be topless. Dress. No, and no. and it, I mean, I say that knowing that she didn't want to be. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Violet. Um, meanwhile, my, my question is, where is Roy keeping all these weapons? I know he has so many Such weapons. Such an array. <laughs> and like not even a backpack or anything like where are these all coming from he's got a meat cleaver he's got a giant spike he's got a fucking machete yeah. um he's got some fucking deep pockets in that um, garden shears and that's yeah garden shears where is this all coming from violet um is doing an iconic dance to his eyes by pseudo echo oh my god um yeah absolute banger absolute banger um, iconic, robotic, yeah. hilarious <laughs> dancing. So camp. So is camp. Is almost as, it's almost on the same level as the sisters dancing troll two. I often get the two mixed. Oh up. my god! Yeah, that's true. 
but it doesn't go on for long when Roy lifts her up and then sticks his machete in her stomach. He lifts her up. Yeah. Super strong, Roy. <laughs> Reggie wakes up as Pam returns and they discover the trio's corpses in Tommy's room. <laughs> I never read Harry. Well, yeah, when I put Pam returns from wherever she went earlier, I couldn't really remember where she went. She went to look for Matt and... Uh... But seemingly, like, where did she go? I know, yeah. Um, moments later, Roy... The first time we see him in full costume with his uh, fancy blue stripes mask instead of red stripes, uh, bursts through a fucking door. Like, literally, he charges yeah. through a door. Roy Burns, paramedic. Yeah. <laughs> he breaks a door open with his body strength. What the fuck? So, we get the chase sequence. Yeah. The, the end film kind of chase sequence now. We, we've discovered the bodies. Uh, we, we're like, okay, Pam and Reggie are your, your final characters. Mm-hmm. And they ain't going to kill Reggie, so... And Pam's your final girl. Um, so, they run into the woods, despite Pam seemingly have re- having returned in a perfectly okay vehicle. Yeah. So it's not even that moment. Oh, yeah, the car she's not even stuck. tried. She's not even Why tried did they it. not go straight yeah. to the car? Yeah. <laughs> um, they find the ambulance mm-hmm. of Roy's colleague dead inside. Yeah. Um, and then obviously Roy makes his appearance. They run back into the woods but become separated. Mm-hmm. And I put note Pam's jumper appears and disappears throughout the sequence. <laughs> So we should have mentioned earlier, Pam is absolutely serving. She is. In a white shirt, jeans, but with like, I think it's a jumper, uh, like a peachy kind of jumper. Yeah. And she's got it over the shoulders like she's about to go play some tennis. And throughout this scene, it's either not on her shoulders and then on her shoulders, (laughs) or it's completely disappeared, but there's nothing to show that it's gone. Yeah. Um, so that's a, a quite an obvious continuity error there. I think it's quite a famous one as well, actually. She finds Matt with a uh, massive nail through his head in, in, in a tree. Yeah, yeah. Just when you forgot that Matt even existed, his corpse appears. Yeah. He was one that wasn't a red herring, actually. I know, yeah. Um, she goes back to the house and uh, Roy... Throws Reggie's grandfather's corpse at her through the window. Yes. <laughs> it's and this is the thing as well. There's so many references to the older films. Yeah. That Roy wouldn't know about. I know. He wouldn't. He wouldn't know any of this, from his newspaper clippings. <laughs> uh, we'll get to that. Um, yeah. So Jason catches up with Pam on Jason. the outside. Uh, yeah, I put Jason. It's Jason. Just Roy <laughs> catches up with Pam. This is when we were. I was thinking we were going to keep the big reveal to the end. Um, what's his name? Roy catches up with Pam outside and gets ready to kill her before Reggie appears driving a tractor. Yeah, and driving straight into Roy. I think Reggie's a great character. Reggie's I mean, a fantastic character. He, you know, normally kids in horror films can be quite annoying, but he's he's great and. 
something really unheard of in the 80s, a black character making it to the end. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's always been the case that, you know, the horror stereotype, the black characters die first, but nope, right to the end. Yeah, and it's it's a real shame, actually, because I think his story in the sequel, and, and the sequel's very good, you know, part six, um, but it would have been interesting to see his character continue, yeah. as, as well as the Tommy character. I understand it wouldn't have worked for the storyline in part six. Mm-hmm. But I think him and Pam are, are likeable characters. Yeah. You know, and it it's, it's one thing with Friday the 13th, that the final girls never get a second film. No. Um, Tommy does, and you get this trilogy mm. of Tommy Jarvis films, but the girls never get a second no. film. Apart from... Uh... Adrian King, who's, like, killed within the open scene. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's a real shame, because there were some really interesting final characters mm. and final final girls, but... Well, hopefully it's uh, all building up for the next one. They'll all come back together. <laughs> oh, my God. Could you imagine? Are they all still with us? I believe so. I, yeah. Yeah. Um. So, Roy's... Ran over with a tractor. Yeah. <laughs> um, Pam and Reggie comfort each other for far too long, assuming Roy is dead. <laughs> but he awakens and chases them into the barn because we haven't quite got to the running time <laughs> that's no. needed for a feature-length film. Uh, Pam and Roy have a chainsaw versus yeah. machete duel. She fucking jumps out of some sort of closet in the fucking barn with a chainsaw and attacks him. Yeah, and it's, I think Pam's up there with, oh, yeah. you know, um, is it Chris in part three? Yeah. Um, with the, you know, I'm going to try and kick your ass sort of uh, final girl mentality. Just mm. despite, and this is despite having Tommy Jarvis and to yeah. a certain extent Reggie there as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, she holds her own. Yeah, she gets him in the arm with the chainsaw. She does. Uh, runs out of gas and she just throws it at him. <laughs> it's that damn cost of living crisis. So get ya. The fuel's gone up far too much. Tommy returns without his glasses and has a dramatic staring contest with Jason. It's like Roy. the end of a romantic comedy. It is. Reunited and it feels so good. He's accompanied by the voices in his head and Roy gives him a machete to the so- shoulder. Um... Oh, yeah, he does, doesn't he? He does. Yeah, so that, that knocks him to the ground. But then Tommy defends himself by stabbing Roy in his leg, very near his dick, uh, with the pocket knife from the start of the film. Yes. Yeah. I thought it was the crotch um, initially, but, I, yeah, I realised it was the thigh. Um, Tommy makes his way up to the top of the barn where Reggie and Pam are hiding, but he's closely followed by Roy. Roy struggles to find them until he discovers Reggie. But before he can kill Reggie, Pam bashes him with a large stick. (laughs) Um, Then there's a a mild tussle of some sort at the top. And Pam realises that outside the barn, there is some large spikes, which I'm assuming is attached to the back of the tractor. A tractor harrow. A tractor harrow. Mm-hmm. So Pam is teetering on the edge, 
potentially going to fall out on top of this tractor harrow and onto the spikes. But Reggie saves the day. Yeah. He uh, does a, a flying kick <laughs> of some sort. Uh, Roy falls out, seemingly to his death. Yeah. They peer over the edge, but Roy's held on. Yeah. Because we still need to make that hour and a half mark. I know. And because we need to make Tommy the hero. And we also definitely have to make Tommy the hero. Yeah, he tries dragging uh, Reggie down with him, uh, but Tommy gives him a machete to the hand, which causes him to fall onto the tractor harrow and kills him instantly. In the process... Roy's... Conveniently... (laughs) Yeah, um, in the process, his hockey mask comes off, revealing that he is, in fact, everyone's favourite suspicious paramedic, Roy Burns, who has been going around killing people his entire time with a bold cap and a Jason hockey mask. Yes. Like, I mean, those details, you've got to give it to him. Like, he became superhuman Yeah. Um, for the role. He... Put a bald cap on so you'd actually think it was Jason. Yeah. Without having to shave his own hair. But it's not even just a bald cap. It's a bald cap that's made to look like a real bald. It's like, it's high quality. Yeah. Like the ears look like Jason's ears. Even the hands are like quite pale and veiny. Um, His hands don't look like normal guy's hands. So he's really gone to town on this. Um, yeah, absolutely ridiculous. So stupid. And they show you his face like you're meant to go, oh, but it's like, no, I mean, even in that shot, it doesn't even look like Roy. (laughs) But you just kind of, and the thing is, you watch it and you're like, oh. But the characters aren't surprised. The characters don't act surprised at all. No, they don't. They just look at him and it's like, oh, "Oh, God. (laughs) Yeah, they're just looking. But there's no like, pieces of the puzzle to put together when you're like oh oh it's it was Roy he did it because of this no it's a stupid fucking twist because it makes absolutely no sense and then has to be explained (laughs) right away afterwards (laughs) so there's no progression to this point because there's at no point in the film as far as I'm concerned there is no point in the film where we are led to believe in any way whatsoever that Jason isn't capable mm. of being the killer and therefore we have a murder mystery on our hands. Mm. Because that doesn't happen, you're just like, huh? Yeah. Huh? What? Eh? Eh? Why? Who's that bloke? Yeah. Um, yeah. We then cut to Pam and Reggie at the hospital. Reggie, Reggie's asleep. Uh, Pam looks very much like Tamara from the Real Housewives of Orange <laughs> County. Um, if you don't know which one I'm talking about, it's the uh, that's my opinion. Um, the sheriff explains that they found. Oh, okay, got <laughs> to say about this. The sheriff explains that they found on Roy's body his wallet. With a picture of himself in. <laughs> because we needed to remind the audience what he looks like. And a picture of Joey as a teen. Not as a child. <laughs> but as a teen. As as he appeared at the beginning of the film. There is a picture in his wallet. 
My question, how the fuck did he get that picture? I know, he abandoned him when he was a child. He abandoned him as a child. How did he get that picture? Why wouldn't you just have a picture of Joey as a child? (laughs) Also, number two, you're going on a killing spree. Yeah? Mm -hmm. Pretending to be Jason Voorhees. Yeah. Why you got your wallet in your pocket? <laughs> Why is your wallet there? <laughs> and also it's revealed by the sheriff that not only did he have his wallet in his pocket, he also had newspaper clippings <laughs> of the Jason Voorhees story. So every time you see what we believe to be Jason, now revealed to be Roy, Throughout this film, he not only has his wallet in his pocket, he also has newspaper clippings. <laughs> they stayed in there after he was knocked over they by a tractor. stayed in there. <laughs> not ruined. What the fuck? I'm so fucking also, stupid. he's doing all this to get revenge um, because of his son's death. Do you know who he didn't kill? The guy no, who the fucking guy who killed his son. His son. <laughs> I'm not sure if it's a revenge thing or it's it's he went he was already according unhinged. to Wikipedia. It's a revenge it was, thing. It was he went insane after his son's death and sought revenge, inspired by the stories of Jason's killing sprees. I just gotta say that's fucking stupid. It really is so stupid, and it it's had to be, you know, revealed in the most stupid way, like. <laughs> Oh, it's him. And then you have to explain it all afterwards. You're like, oh, okay. But then in a bizarre series of events, whilst recovering recovering in hospital, Tommy has a nightmare where he kills Pam and another hallucination of Jason. Uh, But this time he faces his fears and makes them disappear. He goes into the drawer next to his hospital bed and finds the fucking Roy Burns hockey mask. Someone, Someone at that hospital took that mask off Roy... And fixed it, okay. because the strap was broken at the back. They fixed the mask, and was like, oh, here you go, Tommy, just have to see your drawer next to you. It'll be a nice memory for you. Put it like, put it in your memory fuck box. Fuck hell. He then hears Pam approaching and smashes the window to appear as though he's escaped. When Pam rushes in, Tommy appears from behind the door wearing Roy's hockey mask and wielding a kitchen knife. The end. Okay, if you're going to do that at the end anyway, and, like... Some of the rules of the script is that they had to make Tommy the killer by the end. Why the fuck were we watching Roy going around killing people his entire time? Have it as Tommy. Yeah. Exactly. And also, where did he get that large knife? Where did he get a kitchen knife? In a a, a hospital. Why has someone left him a kitchen knife and Roy's mask? Yeah. What's the point? What and why doing? was Pam walking to the hospital, uh, to his room, as if she knew that he was <laughs> he was going to be revealed to be a killer? <laughs> yeah. She's like doing that thing where she's like, I, I, I know I'm in a horror film, but I shouldn't know I'm in a horror film. <laughs> um, absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. So stupid. Makes absolutely no sense. Renders so much of this film completely pointless. Yeah. Um, baffling... And just the word, the word of the podcast is stupid. It's so stupid. It's insulting the intelligence of the audience. 
it's not giving the uh, the audience, the established audience, who enjoy Friday the 13th films, what they want. No. For absolutely no reason. I said it before, I'll say it again. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah. I'd rather if they'd just done a rehash of part four, because, spoiler alert, part four is my favourite mm. Friday the 13th film. Yeah. And it plays to the formula, but does something different. It adds, it adds to it rather than changes it. Yeah. And this could have just done the same. Yeah. You know, just carrying on Tommy's story and his fight against Jason. Yeah. We can suspend belief, hun, but we can't suspend it that much. <laughs> but it sure is entertaining. It is entertaining. It's. Trash to peace territory. It's, it's there, yeah. I think it's somewhere. There's camp value. There is. There, there is camp value there, and it's not the worst Friday the Thirteenth film. No. Um, but it ain't great because it's not enjoyable for the right reasons. Yes. Yeah. Um, there's a rewatchability to it. Though. Oh yeah. I will give it that. You can rewatch it. It it's it. Yeah, it keeps it. Short and sweet, yeah. In many respects, not always sweet, but it's short, so it's it's not like a two hour, three hour film. No. So there's a rewatchability there. But yeah, that's Friday the Thirteenth Part Five: A New Beginning. Let us know on social media if you're a fan of this one. Tell us your favorite Roy moment. <laughs> uh, we are Horror Court Trash over on Facebook and Instagram. Horror Court Trash on Twitter. I'm dead at Gaz92 on Letterboxd, Gazmo205 on Instagram, and GazCruise92 on Twitter. I am ChrisBarker823 on Instagram and Letterboxd. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Like and follow on everything else. Give us a rating on Spotify. For our next Friday the 13th episode, we'll be back on January the 13th, 2023, <laughs> with part six, Jason Lives. Doing something You know, different. throughout this podcast, you were saying, oh, we'll be back sometime in January. Yeah, on well, the 13th. Isn't it a given that it would be the 13th of January? <laughs> and we'll be back on Tuesday, of course, of our regular episodes, where we'll be discussing the iconic Trash to Peas hard ticket to Hawaii. Yes. Very excited for that. Yes. So, for our regular listeners, we'll see you on Tuesday. And for anyone who is listening to just the Friday the 13th episodes <laughs> first of all what are you doing and second of all we'll see you in January <laughs> bye bye bye